0: I figured out what we need in this world. What we need in this world is a Weird Al polka
1: medley, but it's all music from Ruby. Would that be our opening? I wish. (laughs) Could we get away with that? (laughs) Will we get DMCA'd? Look, if I...
0: Great, now I gotta add something else to the list of things I would do if I ever had stupid money. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there we go. Ask Weird Al to make this. License it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh welcome to Under the Bridge, everybody. Welcome to Under the Bridge. I'm Cody, aka the Scarlet Troll. And I am Greg, aka Greg. And we're here to talk movie news and reviews, and also sometimes gaming news and sometimes comic news, and sometimes other stuff.
1: Yeah, other stuff. Other Woo! game news things. Woot.
0: <laughs> what an intro.
1: Yeah, emphasis on the t and woot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tang clan? <laughs>
1: Oh, I haven't worn my Wu-Tang ugly jacket this winter. Oh, that's unfortunate. Uh, It was, like, literally the best thing I got (laughs) from, thank you, Janine, if you listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) From last year.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. New year. New year. New movies coming out. New news.
1: Same old us, for the most part. Same old us. Same old nerds.
0: (laughs) Oh, right. So I, I actually have some comic news that I forgot to put on the list.
1: Oh, boy. Hank Pym is back. Is <laughs> I didn't know he was gone.
0: Yeah, there was a whole thing where he was fused with Ultron, and at first they made it seem like yeah. it was an actual fusion of the two, but then Tony determined that apparently Ultron had been in control since they merged, and Hank was actually dead, and then they took it a step mm-hmm. further, and it turned out Hank's soul had been ended up in the Soul Stone and it ended up getting devoured by a giant spider monster that lived inside of
1: it. I hate everything about this. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this immensely.
0: (laughs) Nobody was really that fond of it either, but apparently as of the latest Avengers, Inc., he is back.
1: Okay, then.
0: (laughs) So that's neat. Also, apparently he's old now.
1: I thought he always was old.
0: No, he was a a still pretty spry fella in the comics, but it turns out that unfusing himself from Ultron or whatever uh, aged him up. It, like, took a toll on his body. Mm. Because you got to have that comic synergy, because now Hank Pym is old, don't you know?
1: Fair. Fair, I guess. <laughs> no, it's
0: not. It's it's stupid. <laughs> stupid and terrible.
1: Oh, yes. Just how we like it.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I like it.
1: <laughs> if you don't want stupid writing, you shouldn't read comics. Or watch movies.
0: <laughs> that's the one.
1: Yes. <laughs> I think he's back.
0: I'm actually not seeing much in the way of Buzz about it. Which just goes mm. to show, nobody gives a dang about Hank Pym.
1: I imagine the character hasn't recovered from his whole like being an abuser portion right
0: okay okay you know what I'm so f***ing sick of that Hank Pym ultimately (laughs) is no more abusive a spouse than any other main leading character in Marvel was at that time because the whole place
1: (laughs) was rife with misogyny Alright I didn't I wasn't expecting to cause a trigger and I, trigger and I'm glad I did.
0: <laughs> Spider-Man slapped Mary Jane. I'm pretty sure he slaps you around multiple times.
1: Okay, I do remember that. <laughs>
0: One time, Sue was, like, possessed or actively turning evil, and Reed basically just went...
1: And then he, and then she slapped Reed in return. No,
0: he actually basically <laughs> just slapped her out of it or something of the such. He was like... <laughs> he said, oh. holding a cob pipe or something of the such, Sue, you're being a hysterical woman, and I need you to knock this shit off immediately.
1: <laughs> oh. Ooh, that's some 50s, 50s talk right there. <laughs> it's a
0: real Bing Crosby nonsense. Mm. But anyways...
1: All right, that was worth it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope he. I hope he's actually alive again because I'm really not seeing anything
1: here. Mm, it's, it's like an April Fool's, but it's January. January, April Fools. That would be something. That would be a good way to piss off a shit ton of people. Boy, I
0: hope I don't have to do a retraction on this one. Anyways.
1: Mm. <laughs> oh, but then you'd have to cut that whole trigger bit.
0: And before you say anything, <laughs> yes, Ultimate Hank Pym is actually that bad, but it was written by Mark Goatlicker Millar and no one cares. Goatlicker. That's a whole other thing. So,
1: Is it now? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm not getting into it.
1: Okay, fair.
0: What was the next thing I had?
1: <laughs> you said something. Well, you you talked about Hank Penn being back,
0: right? Apparently. I really, I really lost myself with the <laughs> with the everyone at Marvel beats their wives of it all.
1: <laughs> I can see that. What I'm imagining at this point, unfortunately, is just like the motivational quote like template. But instead of something like, it's like, every day is a new day. Make it ever more special. It's just the whole cursive writing of all the Marvel superheroes were misogynistic assholes. And then it's just your logo, like, at the bottom (laughs) of it.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Mm. (laughs) So I think we covered on the show at some point, or at least I'm pretty sure you and I have talked about at some point that John Williams is talking about retiring.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's
0: walked it back.
1: All right, so we've got our music Miyazaki then. Hell yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he said to the Times, I don't care much for grand pronunciamentos, statements that are firm and finished and surrounded by closed doors. If I made one without putting it in context, then I withdraw it. So he said, If a film came along that I was greatly interested in with a schedule that I could cope with, then I wouldn't want to rule anything out. Everything is possible. Mm. All is before us. Only our limitations are holding us back. Or, to put it more simply... I like to keep an open mind.
1: Okay, so so he's a freelancer then.
0: I mean, he's pretty much always been. Right. The man's done music for so many movies.
1: I know that. I I mean, I know like he's been most associated with Star Wars, but it's like he has a hell of a
0: discography.
1: Yep, that was him.
0: And also who could forget dun 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 No, wait, that's not the jaws music. That's the bit from Spongebob where the giant clam steals Mr. Krabs' millionth dollar. That's some other composition.
1: (laughs) Please tell me John Williams did music for Spongebob. No, I think I'm mixing up the Jaws. Please give me that. I'm sure I'm mixing up
0: the the Jaws theme and the blue-lipped clam thing.
1: I'll tell you what, if there was nothing else that got me back and interested in Spongebob, it would be something like that. That was a very old episode.
0: (laughs) Some people are speculating this might mean he's doing the music for Superman Legacy.
1: Oh, that would actually be pretty cool. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's rampant baseless speculation, and I feel a little yeah. bad taking part
1: in it. But... That would be awesome if that happened.
0: And we can't keep going back to the same Superman theme forever, I guess, so he might as well... If if he made the first one, he might as well uh,
2: <laughs>
0: come back and make a new one. I think that was him. Okay, yeah, that was him. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was Danny Elfman who did the Batman one. Oh, okay. Right. Anyways, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, the man can do whatever he wants because he's got such an absolute baller career that, like, you can put the baton down whenever, man. No one will judge you, but. Yeah, and no one can really stop him either. Of course not. That'd be indentured servitude or something of the such. Ha! <laughs> but it's good to have him back.
1: He's 91, too. I did not realize that. Right? Yeah, holy shit.
0: I need to move along. We got too much stuff to do and not enough time. Right. <laughs> You familiar with Bendy and the Ink Machine?
1: Relatively.
0: Well, apparently it's getting a movie.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, on Christmas, December 25th, the official Bendy Twitter account made an image that said, Bendy is coming to the big screen.
1: (laughs) Okay. I've never played the game, so I don't know if it lends itself well towards a movie.
0: I've played a little bit of it and then looked a little bit more up about the lore. I think this would work pretty dang well as a horror movie. Oh, okay. Well, it's a
1: horror game, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, fair.
0: No, it's definitely a horror game, and I feel like you could... Ve- Ooh. But would they keep it sepia-toned? I don't think so.
1: And that automatically makes it less cool. Yeah, because that would probably take out a good bit of the audience, sadly.
0: <sighs>
1: That's very unfortunate. Mm. But also,
0: I guess if you keep it sepia-toned, it's maybe a little too similar to the to the game. Mm. Aesthetically. In which case, you might as well just show cutscenes.
1: <laughs> ends up, that actually ends up being the movie. It's like, no, the movie that you paid, like, $12 to go see in theaters, it's all the cutscenes from the game. Maybe you
0: could do <laughs> sepia filter flashback scenes. That'd be something. Hmm. That'd be something. Right. Anyways, that's literally all the info we got. No release window, no, no log line, no, no nothing. Right. Not a single thing.
1: I mean, I assume it's about the game, but, you know. Oh, yeah, or at least taking place within the universe of the game. Yeah. Even though I haven't seen it, I want to see it. Hopefully it's not like a Tetris situation or it's a movie about the making of the game. <laughs> you could do worse. I haven't also right. seen Tetris, but but you could you could do worse. Right. Since
0: there's a lot of send-ups of Disney in there, mm-hmm. maybe it'll keep them from jumping on the bandwagon of making Steamboat Willie-themed horror stuff because... <laughs> As of today, no. the day of recording, January first, twenty twenty four, Steamboat Willie, and with it the original appearance of Mickey Mouse is now in the public domain.
1: Oh, this is gonna be magical. This is gonna be <laughs> awful. <laughs> I mean, that too. That very much so. And Disney is probably looking at this being like, oh god, what have we do- what have we allowed? <laughs>
0: what have we not been able to stop?
1: Yes, I mean, granted, I am completely okay with them not being able to stop it. Yeah,
0: no, eventually things should go in the public domain.
1: Yeah, but it's still one of those things where it's like, oh, this is going to be good. (laughs)
0: Right. There are some other things that are entering the public domain as well. Uh, Most notably the book House at Pooh Corner, which was the introduction of Tigger. (laughs) You can see where this is going.
1: I feel like we talked about it off the podcast, but wasn't it a thing of, like, the people who made Blood and Honey do want to make a sequel, they're just waiting for Tigger to be public domain. Apparently
0: they've been working on it.
1: Oh, which okay. Which, I'm not
0: sure if that's a case of, you can work on it, but you can't start announcing it, or publicizing it until the copyright lapses, or, like, it's, uh, you really shouldn't have been doing that, and the only reason we can't stop you now is because it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, I- I imagine it would probably be a thing if you can do it as long as you're not actively making money off of it, or doing things that'll make you- that'll actively make you money in the short term, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Also, Peter Pan, or The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up, is also now in the public domain.
1: Oh, no. Which is
0: presumably going to be the basis for that Peter Pan Neverland Nightmare film.
1: Oh. Oh, that might- (laughs) Alright, I can think of much more cursed things happening with Peter Pan and Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse.
0: <laughs> okay, remember, it's just the book. They don't have that design for Tinkerbell.
1: Oh, they don't? No. This is, okay, the, this is the
0: book going into public domain,
1: not okay. the Disney movie. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> Never mind the, then. No, the
0: Disney movie still has a ways to go, don't you worry.
1: <laughs> like, that's gonna stop
0: d- anyone anyway.
1: Oh, of course not. It's just again, they, they'll do they'll still make their depraved shit. They just can't make money off of it.
0: <laughs> Unless it's parody.
1: True. That is true.
0: I almost said something and then decided it was better to keep my mouth shut, so I'm gonna <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just gonna mosey on. <laughs> I'm gonna
0: here's some old news that somehow I missed from a couple of weeks ago. Oh boy. Which is that Marvel Studios apparently announced that they're doing an animated Eyes of Wakanda series.
1: Oh, is it now? Just based on the title, I'm assuming, is it something where it's, like, based on people who just live in Wakanda, not necessarily the Black Panther himself?
0: Well, we did get a logline, and the logline is, Throughout Wakandan history, brave warriors have been tasked to travel the world retrieving dangerous vibranium artifacts. This is their story. Mm.
1: Dun dun!
0: (laughs) That's deeply ingrained, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: In middle and high school, I watched a lot of Law & Order SVU. So, Fair. so, yeah, that is that is very much ingrained. <laughs> I believe this is
0: one of the series Ryan Coogler was heading up for them. Hmm. Because he was working on a Wakanda series before. I just didn't know it was going to be live action. But, uh, nah, apparently animated, which,
1: okay, cool. Yeah, yeah that's fine. That is perfectly okay.
0: Wakanda is one of those settings where you can absolutely expand it out as much as you want, and it's fine. Because you <laughs> you made it so cool in the first movie, and then did a good job with it in the second one, where I still give a shit about all the characters, so like, yeah. Do, do whatever.
1: Yeah, do what you want.
0: <laughs> you, have, you have got my trust and validation on that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not so much on What If.
1: Right. <laughs> which, in
0: lieu of trailer time, we did get a sneak peek of season three, which is apparently coming soon according to The Thing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I guess, theoretically, it could be coming this year and it would still be a separate release year from Season 2. Mm-hmm. However, it's also been announced that head writer A.C. Bradley has confirmed that uh, she's exiting the TV series. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did so on Twitter, said, After Season 2, I made the decision to move on from Marvel. It's been a fun ride, but it's time for new adventures and mediums. Which, Mm. more power to you. I mm-hmm. I don't want to do a whole what if review because I've watched the entire episode of se- uh, season the entire second season, but uh, I will say one thing that's really bothering me is this show keeps wanting to do two things. Mm. It keeps wanting to be an animated anthology series, but it also wants to have like a end of season thing tying things together.
1: No, that's not how that works. It doesn't have the runtime to do both. Well, I feel like the bigger problem is that because of it off the basis of it being an anthology series you can't really do that just because it's like, this isn't the whole thing with it is that all the things that are happening are not just like alterations of established stories, but aren't like the things that happen in one of taking place within their own respective universes too.
0: Yeah, but sometimes they cross over, like at the end of the first season when Infinity Ultron was happening and Uatu was like, oh God, I can't, Oh, jeez, I'm gonna have to... I'm I'm, uh, I'm gonna have to hit the button. I'm gonna have to intervene. There we go. Oh, I don't want to do it. I really don't want... There we go. I hit the button.
1: Fair. I figured it was kind of a thing. Like, alright, so not only that, everything is also within its own universe. You can't really do that to begin with. It's because you, have by default, made it self-contained.
0: No, they, they 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 crossed them over in Season 1, and they did it again in Season 2, but it's less connected. Like, less of the episodes from this season got involved, which makes it feel dumber.
2: <clears throat>
0: and... Also, uh, and I will say, for the most part, on the whole, I like this season more, but man, the ending was just stuff and things happening with no rhyme or reason and just catch up, loser.
1: I prefer honey mustard. I'm sorry. (laughs) Why am I like this? No, that was fantastic. Uh, (laughs) No, I hated myself for saying that. That
0: was great. No, the, uh... The Nebula Nova Core mm-hmm. episode was alright, but it,
2: mm. it,
0: more tonally than anything, because again, it doesn't really feel like a great what-if. Right. Avengers Assembling in 1980s, that was good. That was, I liked that one a lot. Okay. Avengers Die Hard, not great. Like, it's okay, but it also doesn't really feel like a what-if, it just feels like something that could have happened, like, in the main timeline that I'm sad we didn't get.
1: Did it happen on Christmas? Yeah! Okay, well, then, okay, it's perfect. The episode, didn't come out <laughs> on,
0: the episode didn't come out on Christmas.
1: Oh, okay, but it's episode a Toy story. Ca-
0: it came out Christmas Eve, actually.
1: Oh, okay. Fair enough.
0: Episode four was literally just something from episode or from season one that didn't get finished in time, so they bumped it into season two. Oh, really? <laughs> and it was also okay. It
1: okay, was an interesting
0: fair. meshing of things.
1: Mm.
0: Episode five was just the follow up to Peggy Carter's story, and okay, I like Peggy Carter, and I like Haley Atwell, and I like Captain Carter. But, what I will say, I really wish the Captain Carter appearances would shut the fuck up about Steve. (laughs) Except for Multiverse of Madness, all of her appearances either heavily involve Steve, or... Steve somehow informs the character decisions like somebody's using, like, wouldn't you do this to be with Steve again as leverage? And it's like, guys, shut the fuck up. I was sick of this ship when Endgame rolled around. I don't mm. need the reverse of it. And also, you didn't do this for Steve. Like, yeah, Steve obviously missed Peggy, but there were other things driving him than just, I'm sad that I can't be with Peggy. He missed Bucky. He missed the Howling Commandos. He felt like the world had moved on without him and he was struggling to find a place in it.
1: I mean, it kind of did.
0: (laughs) And to reconcile reconcile himself with its complicated ethics. Well, they're not complicated at all. They just make them sound more complicated,
1: but... Yeah, they're not complicated. They just kind of (laughs) suck.
0: Yeah, no. So anyways, the thing is, they gave him more to do. With Peggy, it keeps going back to Steve, and it gets really goddamn annoying, and I hate it.
1: I can see that, yeah, because it's the thing. I mean, I would get frustrated for that just because, honestly, on its own, the fact that they're doing this so much for Peggy, but not for Steve. And it's like, guys, that's To me, again, I haven't seen the episodes, but to me it sounds like a kind of leading heart into the tropes.
0: Yeah. Episode 6 was the what if Kahori reshaped the world? Love it. It's so good. The fact that they said it so far back in the past because it's during the late 15th century means Mm. that I don't have to worry about, but wait, that doesn't make sense because this would have happened because I don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't based on a pre-existing movie, so I don't have to be like, uh, actually, based on what we know, this would have happened instead because this person was around, and yada, yada, yada. No, this is really good, fun new character, I'm amazed. I was so apprehensive about introducing a completely new character for this and about not actually doing a what-if based on one of the movies and instead just a completely original concept. And it's one of the best ones.
1: Okay, well, I... The cynic in me can't help but say it's probably one of the best ones because it's not tied directly to the movies in any significant sense.
0: Yeah, so I tip my hat to you, creators of that episode. You have proved Mm. me wrong. My foot is in my mouth. It tastes disgusting. (laughs) Uh, Episode 7 was What If Hella Found the Ten Rings? It's alright. It's a little too short, but they got Cate Blanchett back as Hella, so that's amazing. Fair. Episode 8, 1602, it's bad.
1: Oh, that's unfortunate. Cuz that was that was the episode I was kind of the most interested in. <laughs>
0: it's a pale imitation and even worse, they actually pulled in Captain Carter to be the main character so the focus isn't even on the setting, it's about her trying to figure out how to navigate this setting. Hmm. And I don't much care for it.
1: That's unfortunate.
0: And then the finale was just it's things and stuff. All the things, <laughs> all the stuff. And we barely crossed over anything from this season, so, like, it doesn't feel like a season-long plot, even though we kept teasing it at the end of, like, three different episodes. Right. (laughs) Outstanding. Bizarre. (laughs) So, on the most part, I really liked it a lot more than the original, but it really fumbled the ball hard at the end, and the fact that they... Just, please stop taking Elseworld concepts and making them what-ifs. You can't do it, you don't have the time, zombies kinda sucked. 16.02 (laughs) is worse because 16.02 is actually a really great limited series, whereas Marvel zombies already kind of sucked. So it doesn't hurt as bad to go, this zombie apocalypse one sucks, but 16.02 hurts a lot. Yeah, fair. But I'm hoping to see this improve even more in season three because this really turned it around for me. Okay. Anyways, that's enough of talking about that. (laughs) Let's go to box office. Oh, boy. I'm not going to do the top five. I'm going to break away from that a little bit for the time being, I think, because after a while, it just kind of gets
1: depressing. <laughs> Are you trying to not make me sad about Ferrari?
0: <laughs> well, also, just like, I mean, I'm still going to, I still got some not great news on that front, but it's more a thing mm. of, like, turning into a competition feels stupid, because with all the different budgets and what have you, it just feels like doing a... Top five thing this weekend domestically, just it's so narrow. It's so dumb. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fair. I will say, however, relevant to the movie that we saw this week, that being Ferrari,
1: uh eighth place domestically. I am not surprised to hear that, honestly. I'm
0: not surprised, except for like the boys in the boats ahead of it.
1: Hmm. That's okay. a little weird to me. That is kinda weird. I will give you that. <laughs>
0: That's a little strange. Oh, a ninety five million dollar budget. Oh no.
1: Oh no. Yeah. This is why I cut fucked. back
0: on this, because it it's made twelve million domestically so far because it opened on Christmas rather than, you know, across the weekend. But mm. it's only sitting at fourteen point six
1: million dollars worldwide. Oh, that's worldwide? Yeah. Who yeah, this movie's fucked. I'm not upset in like the direct sense because this is a niche as fuck movie as it is, even though the name Ferrari reaches a lot of people. Knowing about Ferrari in the cl- in the classic sense, especially about Enzo, you're only going to really get a certain clientele for a movie like this. So yeah. not really surprised to hear that.
0: Oh, it's just, doing for that badly. just for oh, laughs, just for laughs. Guess what took number one?
1: Ah, uh, let's see. Was it something that did not come out Christmas?
0: It's something that was already out.
1: Okay, what's something that was already out? Um, crap. Why am I blanking on this? I don't know. It was Wonka. (laughs) It's so good. Like the chocolate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's a fun little tidbit. Uh, $22.6 million domestically this weekend, so kind of a slow weekend all around. Oh, fair. Even for being a longer one. Hmm. Anyways, let's go to Ferrari.
1: Let's go to Ferrari.
0: So uh, this was... I don't know why it wasn't (laughs) what I was expecting, but it kind of just drops you right in the middle of things.
1: It does. The opening is so... Oh, God, I want to talk about the opening, but even that's kind of spoilery. I don't cause... think so. I don't think the very start's a spoiler. Well, the it's it's a spoiler just because of why it made me laugh. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't know. Do you want me to try and give a synopsis on this? This is kind of more up my alley. If you want, go for it. Yeah, so... The movie is called Ferrari, so... Okay, I'm going to take it relatively seriously.
0: Naturally, it's about Ford.
1: Yes. I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, or at least not for another ten years. (laughs) Ten years after this movie takes place. So, it's a biographical movie based on the book by Brock Yates, who I genuinely did not know that Brock Yates had a book about Enzo Ferrari, so I need to pick this up at some point. But he wrote a biography in 1991 called Enzo Ferrari, The Man, The Cars, The Races, The Machine... Basically, we've got Enzo Ferrari played by Adam Driver. It's 1957, ten years after Ferrari more or less opened up as a company. Ferrari is in dire straits financially. Which, yeah, that sounds like Ferrari, all right. Ferrari is in dire straits financially. Enzo is dealing with his estranged marriage and also reeling from the death of his son Dino, which we'll get into. The- I'll get into that in a little bit. Oh boy. Um, yeah, no, like, that's that really is a whole thing when it comes to Enzo Ferrari, the actual person. And through all this, he's trying to run his car company. He's struggling with the idea of, like, trying to go racing, but also being really bad with money. <laughs> and it just follows Enzo Ferrari in, like, 1957 trying to figure out what the hell's going on around him. One thing I very much want to emphasize with this movie is that this is not a racing movie. No. There's racing in it, but this is not a racing movie. This is very much a movie about Enzo Ferrari the person. And there's one race. There's one race. There are, a course, of the famous... There are several scenes with very famous and nowadays very, very, very expensive Ferrari race cars. But with the exception of, like, the last portion of the movie, they're there more as set pieces. They're not actually the driving force in a lot of the movie. Ha. Would you believe me if I said that was completely by accident? (laughs) I would, I would, well done. (laughs) Oh, that's right, oh wait, that's right. Ferrari, well, Ferrari the car company was actually founded before World War II. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, 1939 apparently. Oh
0: yeah, right, that's why she, uh, that's why Enzo signed uh,
1: the thing over to Laura. Yes, yes it was. Yeah. So, in a very general sense... I can't decide if I like this movie, and I know that's weird coming from me, the car person. Because I do not hate this movie at all. I enjoyed this move a lot of this movie, but I don't know if I like it, if that makes sense. I think I liked it. The, I will say, it took me a bit
0: to get up to speed, as it were, because the movie really <laughs> oh, does... God. Yeah, I apologize for nothing. <laughs> the movie really does just drop you in the middle of the pool and go swim you loser Cause yeah it takes a bit to get to the exposition of why things are the way they are and even some things like the business being in really bad straits it takes a bit for them to really hammer that in
1: yeah literally the way the movie starts it starts with footage of Enzo ferrari racing in the pre-war era and then literally jumps to some text saying oh this is ferrari it's 1957 in modita italy start the movie. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> we, Get in, loser,
0: we're making Ferrari!
1: Yeah, and it's like, it's introed with Penelope Cruz playing Laura Ferrari, being really mad at him. Enzo... Well, this all happens, like, the first five minutes, so I don't think this part is like, nah. too bad to talk about. Enzo dealing with Laura being very mad at him, going to visit Dino, and it just kind of goes off from there. Him driving to work, which is weird it just felt like really out of place <laughs> <laughs> it's like yes this is what i signed up for watching enzo ferrari taking his daily commute <laughs> well, that wasn't...
0: i don't think that was him i don't think it's him driving to work that's important i think it's the fact that he was leaving
1: his uh,
0: mistress's house i guess would be the thing to call her
1: i mean that that was what it was and it's historically speaking. So this movie is one of those weird ones because historically on this show, anything that's like based in history, we don't really have a hard time talking about. Or at least I personally don't have a hard time talking about. But this one is kind of weird because there is a balance of what to just freely talk about that is historical fact. Like Enzo Ferrari did historically have a mistress, mm-hmm. Pier, and then from this mistress, Piero Ferrari, the current like chairman of the Ferrari car company, was born. That's actually historical fact. But the movie still does the whole being a movie thing in a lot of places as well, where there is clearly, like, a designed impact in some portions of it. And those are the parts I have a hard time deciding if it's good to talk about or not. Ah, right. Especially since since I haven't read the book. There are a couple points where I'm just like, wait, is this for real? (laughs) I will say... When it comes to the casting in this, if if I may move on to that, I don't know. Yeah, if yeah, yeah. Want to, okay. So, Penelope Cruz does a good job as Laura Ferrari. Adam Driver nails Enzo Ferrari the person. I still can't get over it being Adam Driver, just because there is... Obviously, I feel like you'd have a hard time finding a talented actor who actually genuinely looks a lot like Enzo Ferrari did, but... Adam Driver actually does nail Enzo Ferrari as his personality. Enzo Ferrari was known for being very personable, very charismatic, but also very cutthroat, especially when it came to the performance of his cars.
0: Yeah, like, he's a he's a he's kind of a greasy motherfucker sometimes.
1: Enzo Ferrari is, was kind of a dick. <laughs> like he was known historically for being a bit of an asshole, but the only thing on the man's mind was racing. Mm. There's a bit in um, later on in the movie, and I think this is fine to talk about because this is actually something that's genuinely known about Enzo Ferrari. There's discussion of him putting out more road cars for people to buy, and he doesn't give a fuck about that because, to him, the only reason he made road cars at that point was to fund his race team.
0: Right. Isn't it a comparison with uh, Maserati or something where he says, they race to sell cars, I sell cars to race?
1: Yeah, exactly, and that was that, and that's not something that was just made up. That was Enzo Ferrari's like thought process. And it was actually a thing where the reason why, and to kind of to tie a thing into this, the reason why Lamborghini as a car company exists is because Ferruccio Lamborghini actually bought one of Enzo Ferrari's cars, but Ferrari's cars at the time were not known for being particularly reliable. But the thing is, is that Enzo Ferrari did not give a fuck about that. Because, again, his whole thing was, I am only selling these cars so I can fund my race teams. All right. To kind of cut a long story short there, Ferruccio Lamborghini, who was a tractor maker and an engineer, went to Ferrari, told him, hey, your car's broken. If you did this, this, and this, it would actually be really good. And Enzo Ferrari basically told him to go fuck himself. And Lamborghini, the car company as we know it, was born.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a real uh, Nintendo PlayStation scenario.
1: Yeah, like, if I remember right, the, the the thing that Ferrari said to Ferruccio was, go back to playing with your tractors or something like that. Oof. Yeah, so...
0: No, this is a very well-acted movie. Adam Driver does a good job as Enzo, but it still feels like a weird choice to me that you got him specifically to play Enzo Ferrari specifically at this point in his life.
1: Yeah... I don't know, as mean as it is to say... And so Ferrari never really aged well at any point in his life. <laughs> so, as mean as it is to say, there's kind of moments where I'm just like, Okay, no, Adam Driver is actually way too fucking handsome for this right now.
0: <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. I mean, like... I
0: guess, I guess, in theory, you gotta keep him attractive enough to... Justify the on-again, off-again thing with Laura. And the yeah. on-again, off-again thing with Lena. Because I mean, he's a sh- he- he's a shit human being when it comes to those two things. Like there are points where when Laura's when Laura's doing the things that she's doing partly behind his back, I'm like, oh, that's that's not, that's that's pretty shit. And then I remember, oh right, he's an asshole. Never mind. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, um, no. Laura, it again, kind of historically known. Enzo Ferrari's relationship with Laura was not great. Ah. He did leave the company, like, a lot of the finances of the company to her, I think it was, if I remember right, cause, or I think it was talked about in the movie. It was a thing of, like, because Enzo Ferrari did serve in the Ita- in the Italian military during World War II. I want to say he was, like, a mechanic in the Italian Air Force, if I remember correctly.
0: He said something like, Mussolini's, Mussolini was about to arrest me, so I had to make sure they didn't get the company.
1: Yeah, it's, oh god got italy during world war ii is just such a fascinating clusterfuck <laughs> it's the best way i can describe it but no there was very much there was a real risk of enzo ferrari being arrested by either the fascist um, italian authorities or the liberated italian authorities because from what i remember like mussolini's regime didn't really like him and when mussolini's regime was dropped the democratic regime that took over at that point was like, "Well, you were with the Italian military, and we don't like you." So,
0: sort of a French Revolution thing going on.
1: Yes, yeah, sort or of a French Revolution slash Ferdinand Porsche thing going on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't get it.
1: Uh, fair. <laughs> but yeah, so he his his relationship with Laura is very strange. But the thing about it too. And this kind of ties a little bit into one of the later plot points, and I genuinely did not know this, and this is completely fucking wild to me. They did not get divorced at any point in their marriage. Wow, and the re- and a big reason for that was because divorce was illegal in Italy until nineteen seventy five <sighs> yeah, that is completely that when I learned I was just like, that is completely fucking wild <laughs>
0: I'm flabbergasted,
1: yeah. Because, like, when she went to the whole... Well, no, actually, that does kind of get away a little bit of the movie, so don't worry about that. But, yeah, all the actors do a great job.
0: I think I like it more for the fact that it isn't very heavily car-slash-racing-based, so I'm a little more invested in the drama.
1: Yeah, so the thing about that is that, honestly, that is kind of one of the best parts in the movie, as it should be, because, again, this is very clearly a movie about Enzo Ferrari. This is not a movie about him going racing, per se. But some of it is kind of doesn't fall flat for me this movie once again wins an award for awkward as fuck sex scene (laughs) yeah (laughs) which i am not one to comment on movie sex scenes because i am not at all a writer and i don't know like what goes into writing a sex scene in a movie but i'd still be like no this this is this is this isn't it dog
0: (laughs) presumably intentionally so because it was it was kickstarted by something that I would not have expected
1: to have kickstarted it. Yeah. Like... I wish
0: I remember what it was, but I barely
1: took any notes here. <laughs>
0: That's
1: fair. I don't even remember what it was when what like what it was that was the cattles for it all, but part of my brain was going is like, I think they're hate fucking. Are they hate fucking? I think they're hate fucking. Why did I write <laughs> perpetual twilight of failure? <laughs>
0: I mean. <laughs> <laughs> i It's a good quote, I just don't remember who said it or why. <laughs> <laughs> no, you really get a feel for how he is an asshole who wants things done a particular way and how it doesn't necessarily come back to bite him, but mm-hmm. it does impact people around him. And how there's clearly some guilt there, but not enough to change it.
1: Oh yeah. So, one of the themes in the movie, or one of the things shown, and believe me, we'll definitely get into it later on or at least I will, is the danger of racing at this point. Oh, yeah. Because this is 1957. Like, I could not begin to express... I think we... No, we never talked about Ford versus Ferrari on, on this nope. podcast. I cannot begin to express and to really, really drive the point home of how fucking dangerous motorsport was at this time. Motorsport is still incredibly dangerous and people can get seriously injured from it and people can and unfortunately do die from it. But at the rate we're currently going, at least in major AAA racing series that happen all over the world, there's maybe, I don't know, one, two, I'd say like one to three like significant deaths in racing per year across major disciplines. That's still not okay. It's extremely sad and extremely unfortunate when it happens because I feel like, not to talk speak for the motorsport community as a whole, but when someone dies in racing even if it's like a discipline that you don't that a, a racing fan doesn't follow it still hurts mm. racing fans over the world still feel it because we all are enjoying a hobby that we very much accept is very dangerous at this point in time people were like literally dying every other race Ugh. like it was i am um, oh god almighty i think it was sterling moss who does show up in this movie I want to say it was either well, I want to say it was either Sterling Moss or Jackie X, two very legendary racing drivers, who one of them at one point said, "It's like, you know, I've literally had to go to a friend's funeral at least twice a month every month for most of my racing career
2: Ugh. because
1: that was that was the rate rate of attrition in motorsport from pretty much from like the the fifties up until like the the late eighties early nineties. You might call it the turnover and over and over and over." <laughs> Don't you dare. Hell. Don't you dare put sad put jokes in my sad, damn it.
0: <laughs> Sorry, that's all I'm equipped to do.
1: That's fair. But no, it's like there is to kind of also really drive home how performance driven Enzo Ferrari was. There there is a particular scene where a horrible accident happens and it's just like all right, give me another driver. Cuz that's right. just how it, just how it fucking was. Monday. Yeah. Because like, that's just how it fucking was. That's that's literally how god-awful it was. Uh. Just to really drive home how performance-driven and by proxy how much of an asshole he could be because of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. It really is interesting to watch him wheel and deal and try to keep things from going under. Because
1: mm-hmm.
0: he pulls off some moves here and there where it's like, oh, that's slick. I don't really respect it because also gross, but
1: <laughs> yeah, slick. Yeah, no. Especially, again, at this time, Enzo Ferrari's dealing with the very, very real possibility of his car company going under. And while people are telling him what to do, the main thing for him is, no matter what, I have to have full control over my racing program. No one else is allowed to like do anything with my racing program but me. Which, fun fact, is a big reason why the deal with Ford fell through in the 60s. And to that end, he was willing to do some very, very gut broke shit to keep things in his corner.
0: <laughs> and it's even more interesting to watch him try to maneuver his way to keeping things afloat all while his
1: personal life is crumbling. Because the juxtaposition yeah. there is fun. You know what? I won't give the movie that. There really is a thing, and you know what? Adam Driver's acting to that credit as well. There is a major juxtaposition in this movie between Enzo Ferrari, the businessman and leader of the Ferrari, uh, Ferrari Spa compared to Enzo Ferrari at home. (laughs) You got
0: anything else that's not a spoiler? I don't think so. Oh, wait, I do have one more thing.
1: Mm. Even though this movie is in English, I feel like it could use subtitles. Yeah, like, everyone is doing their best Thick-ass Italian accent.
0: <laughs> and occasionally they slip Italian words in there, which I appreciate the immersion, but also I have no idea what the fuck you're saying, so...
1: Yeah, no, some of it gets to be a, a little much, I will say.
0: My brain had to click a couple times to get back in it. Wait, what just happened? Let me refresh. What do they say?
1: <laughs> but
0: all in all, I think this is worth watching.
1: Oh, yeah. This this movie was a good time. Like, it... It, again, it's the thing, of like, this movie was a good time, but I can't figure out if I like it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'd say if you're into a good uh is it a historical drama? It's not personal drama auto it,
1: no. Autobiographical Biogra- <laughs> drama. Uh, yeah. Biographical uh, sports drama. <laughs>
0: biographical sports drama, but you're not that interested in the sport of it all.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you want a, if you want a racing drama that actually centers on the people and not the cars, you're insane, but this is the movie for you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> So, in that spirit, if you don't want any heavy spoilers for Ferrari, make sure to click away in. And we'll have another segment after this, so there's more to come. So click away, oh, yes. but then click back in. Three, two,
1: one. The first bit where they added Adam Driver in driving race cars in the 30s was fucking hilarious. <laughs> that, I did a double take there. I was like, wait. It what? was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. Was it great? Thing, no, because it's the thing of like. It's very clear that he's not actually driving the car. They stuck him, like, in a little thing that looks like an old... If I remember right, Enzo Ferrari was actually racing Alfa Romeo race cars in, like, the 1930s. Oh. Um they, they stuffed him in a little Alfa Romeo lookalike car and just kind of played footage. And what's funny is that some of it I recognize, because some of it was footage of Enzo Ferrari when he was a race car driver. And it's just, like... <laughs> I just started laughing because I like, nah, this looks bad. <laughs> this looks really fucking bad.
0: <laughs> the fact that also at the beginning, Laura basically doesn't shoot him, but shoots at him. Yeah. Not even shoots at him, but shoots in a way like, shoots closer to him than you should at any human being that you aren't prepared <laughs> to kill.
1: Oh, yeah, that was, and that's right, that, rem- that reminds me, that was the thing that got the awkward sex scene started. Oh,
0: right, him giving her the gun <laughs> back.
1: Yeah, and he's like, I got your gun right here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he didn't actually say that, right? He
1: did actually say that. No, he did not say that, okay, but cool. I was just like, I was like, is that the implication that's going on here? I, I don't know what's what's happening. This is, this is weird. Oh, God, no, that was so fucking funny, because, again, I'm pretty sure some of it was, like, kind of a re- redoing of actual footage of Enzo. It's like they tried to do the the intro to Renfield, but not as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. The example of him trying to keep things afloat by manipulation that stuck with me was him talking to that one guy in the press and going, I need you to write an article saying that we've been talking with Ford about some kind of business deal. Tell them that I categorically have denied it. Do, do you deny it? Of course I deny it. Categorically, I deny it. <laughs>
1: No, when when that bit happened, I was like, yep, that's that's Enzo Ferrari. That is very much Enzo Ferrari. And turns
0: it around to that other guy calling him during the big race and going, why didn't you come to me on this one? Look, just don't, don't go to Ford. Don't go to Ford. It's like,
1: ah, you, you, you tricky bastard. That's kind of how the talks between, because Fiat did end up buying Ferrari. Ah. And that was kind of how it started. Again, the big part of that, too, was that, One of the stipulations for that was that Fiat let Enzo still have complete control over his motorsports programs. Right. But yeah, no, that was kind of funny. The whole shooting bit, yeah, that was weird. (laughs) That was really weird. I kind of liked it, though. Yeah, it was kind of fun, but it's also the thing of, like, why is this happening? And did you make sure that there was nobody else on the other side of that wall? (laughs) Oh, yeah, somebody else might have died. Yeah. (laughs) One of the central themes in this movie, and a regular thing that's coming up, comes up as a point of contention between Laura and Enzo, is Alfredo Ferrari, nicknamed Dino, he was their only son, and he died at age 24 from muscular dysentropy. And Dino's death really, really like put a number on the two of them, especially Enzo. It was very well known that when Dino passed away, it, it had a very, very heavy toll on Enzo Ferrari. It was actually a thing where Ferrari actually made a separate series of cars called like the Dinos and both like engines and cars because they were much smaller cars than what he normally made. And and so it's like, oh, I'll name it after my son. So if the person that you named your cars after that you love just like ups and dies at a very young age, that's going to understandably cause like some emotional distress. Yeah. And it's a regular fighting point because during the whole thing, like, because at this point, Ferrari, who, by the way, Enzo Ferrari at this point is 59 years old. Again, the whole thing of, like, no, Adam Driver, you're actually too Enzo to be, or you're too handsome to be playing Enzo at this point in his life. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: Again, I think that's to justify the drama, because other and to keep him looking vaguely sympathetic, because otherwise it'd be like, nah, you're an asshole, man. <laughs>
1: yeah, you're just old and a dick. <laughs> um, you're but old it's and like, a
0: dick, and how'd you land Penelope Cruz in the first place?
1: Hell yeah. But yeah, no, um, like, Enzo Ferrari was very much loaded um, at this point in in the movie it's talked about how he got like he promised uh, Laura that he would do everything he could to make sure that Dino didn't pass he like put him in the best hospital in Italy gave him the best doctors the best medicine like literally anything that's that a person could reasonably do at that time with shit tons of money and it didn't do anything i want to say i want to say it was a relatively new disease at that point too so it wasn't completely understood either ah um, I might be wrong about that, because I am definitely, definitely no, like, medical person, that's for sure. The fact that it keeps on going back to that was kind of a thing of, like, all right, I kind of appreciate that. Because, yeah, that was a big portion of, like, how Enzo carried himself. And also a big reason of their strange relationship. Enter Lena Lardy, played by Shailene Woodley, a.k.a. Enzo Ferrari's mistress, who they have a son with. Piero... Pierrot- no, that's that's the wrong guy. Um, <laughs> I just Pierrot said his Lardi. name earlier. T- yes. You're, well, thinking of, Pier- you're thinking of Patrick Dempsey. Yes, I am. Okay. Piero Lardi. Well, yeah, he was known as Piero Lardi at this point because he was Enzo Ferrari's bastard child. <laughs> and yeah, that was a big deal because with it as well, one of the things to kind of really also emphasize the whole deal of, you know, divorce being illegal at this point, One of the talking points in the movie is uh, figuring out if Piero is going to be named Lardy or Ferrari. And one of the stipulations that Laura gave Enzo when it came to moving over her shares of the company to Enzo was that Piero could not be named Ferrari during the while she was still alive.
0: Technically, it wasn't a condition. Technically, it was a wish. But it was phrased in such a way that it was probably a condition. I'm not sure. The ending's a little ambiguous for when you don't know what actually happened, which I don't.
1: Yeah, no. So, the long and short of it, and I'm pulling from actually, like, what happened later on, like, from what happened in real life, Laura lived until 1978, I believe. She died in either 78 or 75. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. She died in 1978. But during that time, he um, or in 1990, rather, he changed Piero changed his name from Piero Lardi um, to Piero Ferrari. And just to kind of drive home and think like, all right. Yeah, I I can be a Ferrari now, (laughs) even though he was always tied to the company during his adult life. Like he worked for he worked in Ferrari. He worked um, in their motorsports department and then in their marketing department. He was like. He he, like worked every single portion of the car company. So one of the things for Ferrari in this movie is that in order for his company not to go completely under and to attract investors, he has to win the Mele Milliad, which was a real race. It was a thousand mile race across a lot of Italy.
0: <laughs> and Patrick Dempsey's character was the real winner.
1: And Patrick Dempsey's character was the w- real winner, Mister Silver Fox and all. <laughs> Just finished um,
0: killing people in a John Carver
1: mask, and here he is. Oh, oh, a million, or however, you pronounce it. You know what? It's one of those things where, when Pat, it was said that Patrick, when it was mentioned that Patrick Dempsey was in this, it's like, okay, no, that's fitting because Patrick Dempsey loves racing, right? He owns a professional racing team, and he actually used to race in the twenty four Hours of Le Mans himself. Oh wow! So yeah, one of the other key players in this is a gentleman. Name Portago. De Portago. Yeah, De Portago, who was a monumental playboy. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like he, he, uh, I Had Sex by the Lonely Island was written for him. (laughs) So. (laughs) (laughs) What? Yeah, well, it wasn't literally, but if there were, if you were to put a person. Okay. If you were to. if you were to put a person to the song, it would be this fun. I
0: thought you were saying the Lonely <laughs> Island, like, dedicated the song to a person with Chicago, and I was about to lose my shit.
1: Yeah. Actually, before I keep on getting in, because I feel like I'm rambling too much, what was there any spoiler stuff you wanted to mention first? No, I
0: was just going to get into this race, because, uh, there's a bit that apparently didn't shake you up, but it got me.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a.
0: Tying into racing safety at the time being abysmal.
1: Yeah, there's a, um,. So jumping ahead quite a bit, because uh, especially since the unfortunate thing about this movie is that since a lot of it is a historical drama and kind of a slow one at that, all the things that happened before the actual racing, while still kind of fun to watch, is not exactly fun to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're actually in the Milly Millia and which I could get into a whole thing about how that race worked and how fucking disastrous that was. Because it was all on public roads. It was a it was a road rally. It was a thousand mile road rally on all public roads, Jesus. and again, really, really need to emphasize <laughs> that safety in racing at this point was actually non-existent because, and that's shown in this movie because this movie has, by far and away, one of the most visceral crash scenes I have ever seen in my life.
0: Yeah. And you I didn't could. know it was coming, because I had no idea what happened, so there's a whole bit with this family getting up at the table, and the kids running outside to go watch
1: the race as people were driving by, I didn't think anything driving, about it. Driving by their house. Yeah. I really want to emphasize that. <laughs> yeah. Like, and no
0: barriers or anything, because 50s. Yeah. <laughs> and Dave Portago's, you know, he's ahead. He he was in the lead, right? He he was he was leading
1: the pack at that right. point. Right, yeah. He's
0: in the lead and he's feeling good. He's been warned about the tires are wearing out or something similar, but he's like, No, it'll be good, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And then he hits something in the road.
1: He hits like a busted up reflector in the
0: road. That's what it was. And his yeah. tire ends up getting cut, and the car goes careening out of control, launches into the fucking air, bounces off a telephone pole, and ends up rolling through the crowd, and it was
1: horrifying. Yeah, and first and foremost, as god awful as it is, that actually happened. Like that—that that was how that this race was the last Melia, and that crash was a big reason why. No, so like literally, what happens that the way the movie does it, which is honestly from a movie making standpoint, is fucking magical. They like you see the cars like racing with wonderful music playing and everyone's happy and all that and it cuts to a slow motion like half second of silence where you see his tire about to hit this busted up plastic reflector and i i remember saying oh no the theater went quiet your the theater went completely quiet because you knew what was coming because He was going, like, in the actual race when that happened, he was going 150 miles an hour on that road. (sighs) Yeah, so, hits the the busted up reflector, immediately cuts up his tire, car goes careening all over the place, and then just, like, flies in the air, ejects him from the car, and just obliterates the crowd of people on the road, and none of it is in slow motion. Like, it's all in, like, real-time, or at least as close to real-time speed as it is, because it's, like... The scene is also CGI. And it is upfront and personal. Like you literally see these people just get like mowed down to the ground. And once the crash settles down, you see all of the aftermath of it of like A disembodied
0: hand, a guy's been bisected.
1: Yeah. Portago himself was bisected. Oh, that was him, shit. Yeah, that was him. He was actually bisected. They actually I when I read up on it. I, they actually kind of toned it down a little bit for the movie because, believe it or not. Oh, Because not only was he bisected, he was mangled. And his and the top half of his body was actually underneath the car. Hmm. Huh. So, they actually toned it down for the movie, believe it or not. But yeah, like, nine people died, including five children. Which caused the police and the media to immediately go after Enzo Ferrari. He ends up cleared
0: once it's determined that the tire got cut up by that busted reflector, but... It is a it is a source of very heavy conflict near the end of the movie.
1: Oh yeah. Although there was it's... a line
0: that got me where he was talking about the racers. Everybody who gets in one of these cars knows the risks. The families don't, and I was just like, what? This so this they were that bad at this that they didn't bother to tell people, hey, maybe don't like stand next to the road because this is. Uh... Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. God damn it. <laughs> yep. What yeah, no it was a shit show. Oh, no, it was god awful. It's it's the thing of the way I look at it, not to make not to make excuses for it, but it's the thing of like safety standards weren't non existent in the 50s because they didn't care. Safety standards were non-existent in the 50s because that's the best they had. Ah. Yeah. And All right. Yeah, like these cars didn't have seatbelts. The car the cars didn't have seatbelts. Drivers did not have like, you know, fireproof suits or anything. There wasn't anything like Armco or any of the impact-absorbing walls that like a lot of modern racetracks have. Modern rally races, like what the Mili, Mili is, is a rally race. Modern rally races actually have it where crowds cannot get over a certain part or get to a certain distance near the road. Makes sense. And if they do, and it's, and the officials see it, the stage of that rally is actually canceled. Oh wow! Yeah, like they Good. they do not they do not fuck around with that. Yep. So, yeah, but, like, it, like safety in that period was non-existent. And I wish I could say that was the worst car crash of the 1950s as far as number of people killed. But it's not. Really? Not by a long shot. <laughs> Anyone who knows a lot about, like, the 24 hours of Le Mans at this period knows what I'm referencing. <laughs>
0: and so that's what leads to Laura offering her shares with the condition, well, wish, phrased as mm. a... Conditioned phrase is a wish that he not yeah. acknowledged Piero until as long as like, she's alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, which I guess is a catholicism thing. Mm. Not a catholic, so I have no clue. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> either, so. But yeah, no. If you're still with this, hey, thank you for for st- still being here after me going way too long about racing.
0: <laughs> I'm sure it'll I'm sure I'll figure out how to trim it down a little bit. There's some oh, pauses. Good.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, and afterwards after this is all said and done, Ferrari goes back to Piero and says, hey, you and your mom, you guys are going to be living with me from now on. And one of the things... And honestly, it's it took me a little bit... Like I realized what they were getting at, but to both the movie's um, credit and its detriment, it kind of flies over the radar. One of the things that Piero is constantly asking for in this movie is an autograph from Portago. And when... Enzo tells him, hey, we're going to be going somewhere else. Piero asks, is the TZ reception better where we're going? And he's like, yes, yes, it's much better. Which is supposed to be the sign that Piero doesn't know that um, Portago died. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's... That's neat, but that that is actually really easy to miss. Because it's a fucking 10-year-old asking yeah. about TV reception. <laughs> makes, that, makes that autograph a lot more valuable, though. Just oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like my, my son, my bastard child, has his last autograph. <laughs> I think that was the main stuff I had. Yeah, it's... And again, this is the thing that... Oh, my. This is why I'm still figuring out... So... I'm going to get this movie. I'm actually going to get a physical of this movie, because how could I not? Right. But, I don't know. It feels weird, because normally for when I go and see a movie, it's like, I'll either like it or dislike it, and that usually mirrors my experience watching it, too. I think this, if it's not the first time, it's the first time in a very long time where I've had it, where I've seen a movie, enjoyed watching the movie, but can't actually say if I liked it or not. Fair, and, I, it, and it's kind of a weird feeling. I don't know it's, if you, yeah, got that. it's
0: weird to be <laughs> on the fence about a thing and go, yeah, I guess, but also, but then again, on the other hand,
1: yeah, that's that's literally been me since we've seen this movie.
0: <laughs> I, on the other hand, liked it well enough. Definitely not one of my favorites, but it's a solid
1: drama. Oh yeah, like I, I would still very much say it's worth seeing, especially if you've got nothing else. You get to see Adam Driver. Being, like, a a horrifically handsome 60-year-old Italian man. (laughs) Didn't know I wanted
0: that, but apparently I did.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And somehow him landing Penelope Cruz and fighting with Penelope Cruz, so... Yeah. (laughs) Worth it. Oh, yeah. Worth it. With
0: 2023 having come and gone, it's time to take a look back at our favorite films of the year.
1: Yes. <laughs> I I, don't have I got nothing. Better. Else. <laughs> yes, I don't have a better segue than that. <laughs> I would have made a
0: jingle, but this happens once a year, so what's the point? You know, right.
1: Anyways, yeah, like, do you want to intro with yours or?
0: Yeah, I get. Let, let let's Cause
1: alternate. Because you, you actually have an order, I do not. Mine is a no discernible order, and True. that's and I acknowledge that's kind of a problem. <laughs>
0: you know what? Uh, that actually seems like an idea. I'll I'll start with my number ten. And, uh, you know what, yeah,
1: uh, uh, you know what, let's just, uh... I'll, I'll, I'll try and figure out which one would be my number 10.
0: And if not, it's fine. Like, if, if something I have is on your list, we could talk about it at the same time, since mine's ordered and yours isn't. Fair. So, my number 10, and I think this list is, the, the, the top five are all very what you'd expect, probably. They're kind of basic. I feel like the back five is where it gets interesting. Okay. Because my number 10 is Last Voyage of the Demeter. Really? it still hung on there. I just... (laughs) I like a lot of things this did. I'm
1: genuinely shocked by that.
0: (laughs) The only real problems I have with it are at the very start, and then the movie goes a long way towards making up for it. Mm. It's really well done as a claustrophobic bottle episode of a movie, where it all mostly takes place in one location. Mm. The pacing is good. I like the characters, I'm invested in what happens. Right. They held off on doing a stupid fucking big universe tease. I mean, there's a little bit of a sequel bait, but not nearly as bad as I thought there would be.
1: Right. That's fair.
0: And I mean, I really like what they did with Dracula in this, where they break away from the suave debonair murder machine in a cape, and now he's just some fucking man-bat-looking nightmare who barely speaks anything because he's actually just a vicious, feral predator who's managed to mimic some human habits and at an attempt at blending in.
1: He's gone from suave murder machine to actually, like, caveman murder machine. <laughs> he is Batman the murder machine. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Dark Knight's Metal certainly was a choice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I like this movie a lot. I I am kind of astounded it's still on here, and part of that's because I'm biased in favor of dracula horror movies but <laughs> Fair. no this is still up there for me
1: all right so oh this feels so you know what's unfortunate is that i'm still sticking with what i would absolutely say is my number 10 but it feels insulting given that last voyage is the meter because my number 10 is gran turismo what the fuck yes <laughs> no and it's long... no
0: shame i'm trying not to judge <laughs> but what the hell
1: <laughs> Because, and it's largely because of, because I, everyone who's watched this show or listened to this show, knows how much I shit-talk this movie. And I still feel very justified in initially shit-talking this movie. I don't think it was out of place at all. But I was astounded that not only did this movie, or at least for me personally, I want to very much emphasize, this is for me personally. Because I recognize, objectively, this is a very flawed movie. <laughs> Not only did I not completely hate this movie and totally write it off, but I actually ended up liking it and overall having a very, very good time with it all right that's fair and that is the only reason it's nine number ten it It completely blew me away. how not completely shit this movie was <laughs> that is a fake phrase, but I get it. Yeah, because it's the thing of, like, I'm trying to give praise, but I'm also trying to be real at the same time. Because objectively speaking, this movie is very flawed. If you're someone who actually knows about racing and motorsport, this movie is horrifically frustrating. But yeah, like, they actually did a good job of making Gran Turismo. Well, it didn't really, they didn't really make Gran Turismo into a competent movie. They used Gran Turismo as a vehicle for the movie. Yeah. And, you know, most people in in it are fun to watch. David Harbour is amazing, as always, playing a... A fake, real race car driver. <laughs> <laughs> it is like, what... It's like, again, you in the theater, is like, what What do you think is going on? It's like, oh, I think he killed a guy. Is he an actual driver? Oh, God, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: was, I think I was pretty incensed by that, but I don't actually remember.
1: Oh, no, you were just like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> you had very much the are you fucking serious face going. Nice. But yeah, no, the this the racing itself, even though a lot of the first racing muscles located in that, the racing itself was genuinely very good as far as the racing scenes. The sound design of those racing scenes was actually fucking amazing. Just the turnaround that this movie gave me is what was why it's number ten. <laughs> oh, that's
0: fair. I mean, to be to be a hundred percent fair, and I should have gotten on you for it, because it is a favorite list, it's not a best because there is <laughs> there is a difference. Yeah. And I mean case in point My number nine, I definitely don't think would make a best-of list, but it's still one of my favorites, because that is Joyride.
1: Oh, Joy- No, hmm. That- Joyride is is an honorable mention for me. Fair. It was very close to making my list, too. Like,
0: this is not a perfect (laughs) movie by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) But- it's pretty trashy, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's pretty fucking trashy, but you can make up for a lot by being really funny. And yeah. this movie
0: does that.
1: Yeah, you can make up for a lot by having by being really funny and having like personable characters that you actually, at least kinda of give a shit about, even if they do kinda of shitty things. <laughs> Deadeye was great. Deadeye was amazing. Just
0: killing a chicken, <laughs> getting hosed down after getting barked. out, just going, Look at me. <laughs> And I mean, they're all amazing in this. This is a good movie, and I'm really sad I haven't rewatched it since it was in theaters. I mm-hmm. need to get it on physical at some point. But that, oh, that considering right. some of the things that happened in this movie that came out wrong. But, <laughs> <laughs> the point is, aggressively funny. Mm. Way funnier than I was expecting, and I was already pretty interested from the trailers. But, mm-hmm. this, this, yeah, I, li- I like this one a lot. This is a good time. Definitely not making any best of list, but oh god no! It is a favorite. I still want to try and show it at movie night at some point.
1: Oh, absolutely! So for me, the next up on this, and I feel like slash hope slash promise slash whatever that quality increases after this. <laughs> I, I I would think I would say my number nine is going to be, or at least my personal quality number nine for me would be methregan aka Megan. Oh, okay. Yeah. I could not take this movie seriously at all, but that was also one of the fun things about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a living robotic doll going on a killing spree. That's
1: yeah, <laughs>
0: pretty silly, but I like it.
1: Yeah, like even though it's silly as fuck and objectively kind of stupid, it's very well put together. The premise of it can be terrifying at certain points, especially with as Megan is getting more and more intelligent. The kills in this movie are brutal as fuck largely because and i feel like i'm glad a lot of movies don't do this because i feel like if a lot of movies started doing this it would get old very quickly they a lot of the kills are actually left completely to your imagination like they of course give enough details to go oh this is horrific but you a lot of the kills especially the more brutal kills you don't actually see you just see slash hear the events of them happening and, like, the aftermath. But you don't actually see the kills take place. And that does a wonderful thing where your brain just can't help but fill in all the little nitty-gritty details that you're not seeing at that moment. And every time that happened, I thought it was... I don't want to say wonderful, given the context. (laughs) (laughs) But it was one of the... Yeah, it's like, I like this, but also... (laughs) Also, can't can't get over <laughs> just not only how ridiculous the main auntie i believe it was she was taking care of her niece in this yeah, yeah yeah terrible terrible fake parent oh terrible fake parent who just has the movie's doing all this shit to take itself seriously and like take the threat seriously and then when it gets to the part where she's trying to stop megan it's just like enhance enhance zoom in tape bundle BDSM the doll! I was <laughs> just like, this is stupid, and, and this is making me like this movie even more. <laughs> that one scene was just like, alright, I like this movie now. That <laughs> Megan it's... was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I would definitely put that as my number, number nine.
0: Alright, alright, solid pick. <laughs> my number eight, and this is what makes it a me list, because... I got both of Universal's Dracula movies from this year on here. It's Renfield.
1: Okay, Renfield was going to be my eight as well.
0: Really? All right, cool. Y- yeah. <laughs> no, this is, first of all, it is very funny, obviously.
1: Mm-hmm. Two, oh, yeah.
0: it's got Nicolas Cage's Dracula, which, I'm, it, it could yeah. not
1: be on the list. It's like instant win just from that alone, even if it was horrifically hands-up at points.
0: I like Aquafina in this, an actress i typically lukewarm on. Yeah. There are but, things I like her in, but there are also just as many things where I will roll my eyes and go, but why though? <laughs> but this
1: uses her really well. Dracula? They're like as in Count Dracula. President Dracula. Pull John <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Count Dracula.
0: Yes, Count Dracula. <laughs> Nicholas Holt does a really good job selling Renfield as this pathetic, <laughs> codependent person who mm-hmm. absolutely shouldn't be listening to Dracula but keeps doing it anyway and then actually making you root for him when he starts getting a spine. Some of the gags in here are like the welcome mat. The oh, welcome yeah. mat joke
1: is amazing. It's, it's perfect. <laughs> and I'm sad to say that I didn't initially realize it when we first went into the theater because it had been so long since I even... Like, the last time I read on Dracula proper was in high school. Right. So, when you were- I remember you were laughing your ass off, and yeah. the joke went completely over my head, and when you explained it to me, I was just like, oh, fuck me, I'm actually <laughs> upset that I didn't get that in the moment. And, but then we rewatched it, it was like, alright, yeah, that's that's really good. <laughs> Especially Redfield just looking at me and being like, shit. <laughs> yep.
0: Bits where like he holds up the book about how to stand up for yourself and Dracula's expecting a Bible so he recoils, but he's like, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, and also he doesn't...
0: Like, even outside of being Nicholas Cage, he does a really good job being an absolutely despicable, also pathetic, not-human being mm-hmm. who is completely dependent on this person but still wants to portray himself as superior. There's a really good... I think, at least, examination of abusive relationships in this one J- oh, just yeah. happens to be underscored by a bunch of really good vampire jokes. Right. <laughs> oh, and also, Ben Schwartz is a drug dealing crime boss son. I got a
1: prescription for this shit. <laughs> Do you know who the fuck I am? I'm Teddy fucking Lobo. <laughs> <laughs> you made it sound like Mickey Mouse. I mean, I can't I'm Teddy really. Lobo. <laughs> I can't match his high pitched voice, like. Oh, it's so...
2: I'm in the public domain now! It's
1: it's unfortunate because he does a wonderful job on his own in this movie. Like, he's genuinely great in this movie. But man, there are just so many scenes, especially scenes where he really gets into it without being on the screen. That it's just like, yeah, that's Sonic being a drug dealer. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's Sonic being a drug dealer, allying himself with Nicolas Cage Dracula.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what his drug of choice is, right? Mm. Oh, I was hoping you would say speed and then I would say actually it's barbiturates, but <laughs> <laughs> But oh well. Oh wow. Well. Uh so that's
1: both our number eight covered, I guess. Yeah. Do you do you want to do your seven or shall I? I'll
0: go have a seven, because I doubt okay. I doubt my seven's on your list. Because I don't think you no, you didn't see it. My number seven is When Evil Lurks. Okay. This was just a really good, unsettling Creepy, actually horrifying horror movie, and it was an mm. interesting take on demonic possession where churches aren't really a thing anymore. So there's a science to it. You don't really, you only get hints of what that science is, but it's it's an interesting approach. You feel like you're in a world that's already not dead but dying, mm. but you don't come to that realization right away. It's just kind of a. Malaise—a feeling that hangs over the entire thing—and as you get there, you start to realize, "Oh God, that's right. This is, this is feeling like kind of a downer, actually." Mm. And it's pretty brutal. This is a pretty brutal fucking movie.
1: Oh, okay. It's so, all that's in fair.
0: all, yeah. I don't want to go too much into it because a, it's been a minute, and b, I don't want to give too much away, and also c, it wasn't in English, so.
1: <laughs> fair.
0: Because it's been a minute, I only remember so much. Hmm. But no, this this was hands down my favorite actual horror
1: movie this year okay yeah all right, fair so for me then i if i had to pick my number seven and i will say this number seven is not very far removed from number eight okay they're very very close would probably be the D movie all right just honestly a really fun really enjoyable movie the cast was great the thing I was expecting from this movie before I saw it is that it was really going to lean heavily into the D&D aspect. I was honestly expecting it to be a thing where it's like, oh, no, these are actual like someone's characters. And we're going to get like cuts to like the people actually playing the game and all that. But the movie itself was actually really good while also having a lot of very fun. Like, you know, if you think about it well enough or a blink and you miss it things where it's like, oh yeah, this is very much made by people who actually regularly play Dungeons and Dragons. Especially, like, the key out to that was the bit where they're, with the hero, trying to figure out how to get over, like, the molten lava bridge. He's going into the absolute absurd measures that are needed to go over it. Someone fucks up, kills the bridge. the first bridge. step yeah, like, fucks up on the first step, destroys the bridge, and then immediately it's like, what's that staff you have? It's the staff I've always had. Oh, it's actually this ultra-powerful weapon! And it's like, that is clearly someone's DM, he's like, oh, fuck, they fucked themselves. I gotta <laughs> save these dickheads. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I like it a so, lot gotta- because for all the D&D references it has, it's also... There are some liberties taken, but that makes it feel more like an actual world, and not just, this whole thing runs on D&D mechanics.
1: Yeah, like, it's very much a thing where it's like, once again, the D- D- D&D things are there, but they are a vehicle for things to happen. Not, like, the center focus of it all. Because, I that was my main worry when the movie was announced. It's like, how are they going to do that? Because if, if they lean into the D&D stuff, like, even a little bit, it's just gonna take people out. And... They did an amazing job of balancing it, actually.
0: <laughs> I still think you could have done a solid Lego movie style twist in the end of second act, start of the third act, where it turns out they're all players, but that's that's on me. I shouldn't I shouldn't have run with that. This is still a really fun movie in spite of that. It did make oh, my yeah. list, but I'm not mm. I'm not surprised to see it on anyone else's because yeah, this is a lot of fun. I will still never forget. And I'm selling the movie short by saying this is my favorite part because it's right at the start. Just the mm-hmm. bit of Chris Pine's character spinning this yarn about how they got there and constantly expecting this guy, Jonathan, to show up. And I'm just thinking, okay, is this is this Hugh Grant's character like in a new persona? Is he expecting this guy to be more pitiable? Does he have some kind of con going on? And then it turns out, no, the only plan was Jonathan's a bird, man. Grab him, jump out the window, fly to safety. That's the most D&D fucking thing I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. And it was yeah. perfection.
1: Yeah, this is just a genuinely, like, very fun, very high-quality movie. With, and also... Like, at the end of the day.
0: They did a really good job at letting Michelle Rodriguez and Chris Pine have chemistry, but not having it be romantic chemistry.
1: Oh, yeah. You don't yeah, see yeah. that enough. No, yeah, you don't, They're- feels like there's always a thing where it's like you have to make the two, like, opposite sex leads at least a little bit into each other. It's like, no, no, you you really don't. They're pretty thoroughly repulsed. Yeah, they're pretty thoroughly repulsed, but they also very clearly, like, care about each other quite a bit.
0: Yeah. Number six, then? Yeah. All right, my number six is Godzilla Minus
1: One. Oh, really? Yep. I have that on my list, but I have it ranked higher than that. Ah, fair (laughs) enough. No, this is... I've
0: said it before, I'll say it again, I haven't seen every Godzilla movie, but this is my favorite one of the bunch. This is Mm. really good. Oh yeah. This is a stunning Godzilla as an angry force of nature for humanity to overcome kind of movie. With some really good commentary on the state of Japanese society during slash post-World War II. And the necessity to move out of that mindset in order to survive
1: what's coming. Right. Yeah, like, I mean... I more or less echo the, that just the themes and, sh- and everything are, are shown on it going over like one of the central themes of like having to survive and live on and that just being a central core tenant of our main character who literally was a kamikaze pilot during world war ii and survived like it doesn't the message doesn't get any harder than that in all honesty yeah. <laughs> but also dealing with like you know the stigma of him being a kamikaze pilot who survived because it's like there's not a thing of, like, oh, I might die. No, like, you're a kamikaze pilot. You are expected to die for the glory of Japan, Imperial Japan at this point. So he was dealing with his own, like, demons with that while also dealing with being ostracized for not doing his duty. Um, while at the same time having this giant, crazy-ass, angry-as-fuck radioactive lizard coming up and fucking up his shit. <laughs> and the Godzilla design itself is so good. I I like how bulky he is.
0: I like the effect where his atomic breath is now like an actual fucking atom bomb going off. Yeah. I like the little details, like because he was mutated by radiation, like he already was a big boy, but he mutated to be even bigger and that's where he got the atomic breath and I like that it hurts him too because it's not a natural part of his physiology, it's something he's been cursed with functionally.
1: Yeah. And like, um, and- Oh my goodness, dude. Like, I can't... If you haven't seen the movie, you need to see the movie just for this moment, because there's no way talking about it can do it justice. The way they use the Godzilla theme for the first time in this movie is perfect. It is absolutely fucking perfect. Majestic. (laughs) Yeah. It's just the thing of when it happens, I'm just like, oh, oh, we're in it now. (laughs) Shit's about to get fucked real quick. All right, so... What was your number six? My number six was going to be John Wick 4. Okay, that's uh, actually on my list, too. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, it's... Again, I feel so reductive talking about it like this, but again, this is just a really good movie. <laughs> it's just a really good action movie, a nice little bow to tie the John Wick saga together, in all honesty, in honestly the most fitting way possible, like... I was curious how it was gonna end and the way it ended is like no, that's it's really the only conclusion that I think would make sense that people are fully satisfied with. You know, Keanu Reeves and the cinematography department just go absolutely ape shit in this movie. <laughs> yeah, <they do. laughs> you see lots of like fun gun porn, just like like weird ass shots that have no reason to work. Like a surprising amount of quippiness for the for this movie, like John Wick, the John Wick movies aren't comedies, but it is amazing how much humor they can like shove into these movies without being a major distraction. And it's mostly just from like some of the various situations that John and other people find themselves in. Um, still brutal as fuck. Oh
0: yeah.
1: Horrifically <laughs> brutal, especially during the hand scene.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Those yeah, dragon just... fire
0: rounds are crazy.
1: Oh, yeah, no, like, the incendiary shotgun scene was just, like, ridiculous. And very much the scene where I feel like someone rallied the, the cinematography group during that sequence or like, okay, we are, we just came back from, because this movie came out after the strike, right? Or was it before? Before. That was well before. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I imagine if there were murmurs of it talking being talked about at that point, it's like, no, we need to show them why we're important. <laughs> we need to make it clear (laughs) y'all and we're gonna show it with this like complete like five minute single shot of john Wick just clearing rooms with this fire breathing shotgun and not missing a single beat in all of it
0: it really is amazing how i didn't start watching the john wicks until i think before three came out or maybe after three and when i first saw a trailer for three i thought this looks fucking stupid and yet, <laughs> and yet, this is the only movie franchise I could think of that has four films where all of them are great. There is not a dud
1: among them. Yeah. They're just all really fucking good. Which never happens. And it's very much a thing where I feel like if they really truly wanted to, this could be, and I'm, and I'm so happy they're not doing this, by the way, this could very much be, like, a Fast and Furious franchise situation, because it's like, these movies are running out on nothing but, like, just wonderful press and and goodwill and all that. They could pump out ten of these movies if they wanted to, and at least from what I've seen. At least any movies that have John Wick focused as the character... It doesn't seem like they're going to go any farther than this. And I'm genuinely very happy about that.
0: Yeah, we know the Ballerina spinoff with Ana de Armas is coming. I think they've said a John Wick 5 is happening, but I don't know what that means. They haven't really said mm. anything. Right. So, who knows?
1: If the if the
0: main John Wick series ended here, this would be absolutely perfect.
1: Oh yeah, like, it, like this is a perfect ending for it even though I'm sure there's temptation for it. There does not need to be another John Wick with Keanu Reeves John Wick being the main character. Nah. Like, maybe you could get away with it if you did like
0: some kind of prequel, but you really don't need it.
1: Yeah. Either that or I could see it being where if they want to carry on John Wick, they could maybe... I could see them getting away with like a James Bond situation. Mm. It would be a lot harder to pull off, I feel like, but I could see them at least giving it a shot. I don't see John Wick being a... Title I could see Baba Yaga maybe
0: becoming one, but mm. yeah, that's fair. But no, this movie phenomenal. I love it. Alrighty, my number five was Asteroid City.
1: Oh, real? Oh, now I feel bad. <laughs> no, no,
0: because like, okay, I know mm-hmm. that part of the whole because uh, I still don't fully know what this movie's about, except <laughs> that it's about. You don't need to know what something's about because not yeah. everything has that meaning. Life just goes on. Just right. keep doing the play. Yeah. <laughs> but this is an example of where style for me can go a long way. Mm. And this movie is very stylistic in its choices. It is very deliberate. And it's 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 bright, it's colorful, but it's all to a point. Mm-hmm. And it's all to a purpose. And that purpose is amazing the the fact that in the first five minutes this movie completely flipped my expectations of what it was gonna be on its head is astounding. And of course, it's got a phenomenal cast who are all doing amazing. Yeah. Yeah. This is this
1: was a really good movie. Yeah, no, it's a good movie. It's very clearly the the takeaway I got from the movie after watching it is that this is very clearly a movie, especially with the cast that they got, where This is a movie made by people who love performing. Yeah. Everyone in this is like, you know, it's not even just movies. It's like plays or Broadway or music or what have you. It's like, everyone who's in this is very clearly someone I would associate with. Like, yeah, these these are actors and actresses who love their art. And this is very much a movie where it's just like... Because I don't think the movie did very well, if I remember correctly. Financially, at least. But... It's very clear the thing where it's like, oh no, they're in this because this is clearly their whole we love what we do movie. And it doesn't hurt that it's a Wes Anderson movie who is a prestigious director
0: who makes really great movies in general. So it's like, yeah, everybody's, people are going to jump at the chance to do this and they're going to do their absolute best with it. Yeah. And it sounds like, and I hope this is true, it sounds like Wes Anderson's a great guy to work with, so.
1: Oh yeah, even better. Yeah, this one was one where it's like I I I love this movie. I genuinely yeah. love this movie, but it's like I I couldn't make it truly fit on the list. Of no,
0: that's bad. fair. That is fair. Yeah, that,
1: that's why I was like I felt bad kind of dropping it. It's like this movie's so good, but I I I, I don't think I can have it on the list, unfortunately. But it's no, higher. It's, it's 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 probably my number one honorable mention, if nothing else. Cool, cool. What was your number five? So this one's kind of frustrating because I'm looking at it and numbers three through five are constantly changing places in my Uh, head. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, like, yeah, I can't, because I can't really decide. Do you want me to just name off all three that are in this category?
0: You know what? Might as well, I guess.
1: So in just occupying slots three through five and changing positions every 10 seconds are Godzilla minus one guardians 3 and the mario movie okay yeah so godzilla minus one we already talked about that not really much more to add on to there guardians 3 is quality for me personally i would say the best marvel movie we got this year oh hands down yeah like absolutely hands down just goes all over the place both in terms of display and emotion (laughs) Like, because you still have the seriousness of Guardians, or the silliness of Guardians, with actually, I'd say some of the most, like, serious bits of any Marvel movie. And by far and away, the most serious bits of any of the Guardians movies, for sure. Because, like, this movie gets sad. Yeah. Really, really fucking sad <laughs> in a lot of places. And, but it gets sad with reason. It Everything, even though a lot of those reasons are fresh and newly introduced... Hits like a truck. It like just does a wonderful job framing it all without it feeling like, you know, pretentious or anything like that. And actually has a genuinely good ending, at least in the sense of it actually ties everything together. A lot of the Marvel movies, I feel like, well, granted, a lot of them don't really have endings. Even the ones that have, even the stories that have ended per se, I feel like a lot of them more often than not are left open ended for the most part. Right. This one is actually conclusive are at least conclusive for this iteration of the Guardians. It's like, yeah, these guys are done. There's going to be more Guardians later, but not these guys. Their stories have come to a close, and I do genuinely, like, appreciate that quite a bit.
0: Fair, fair. I'd say more about it, but it is higher up on my list, so I'm going to save that for
1: then. Yeah, and then I'll just quickly... Well, I don't know, does it fuck you up if I quickly talk about Mario movie?
0: No, go for it. It's not on my list,
1: so... Oh, okay, cool. And then the Mario movie, which... I would probably say is it is tied with my number 2 for being like the most fun movie of the year and I probably gave away my number 2 saying that. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine now. Uh yeah. About um it.
0: I think I've got the rest of your list pinned down now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it's genuinely just such a wonderful fun movie that honestly So, I didn't grow up with Nintendo stuff. I grew up with PlayStation. I did not play Nintendo things. I absolutely did not play Mario games. But, man, this is just genuinely such a... Just a genuinely, like, good video game movie. Like, it's probably one of, if not the best video game movie I've personally ever seen. Um, And it's still... While still being very approachable, I love... (laughs) I love what they did with how people were freaking about Chris Pratt playing Mario and the accident and all that. Now they just basically kill it in the first, like, five minutes of the movie.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: While still having some genuinely good storytelling, all the actors and voice actors do, it like, a genuinely pretty good job. While still having a lot of references and things where it's like... Like, there's if you've never played any of the Mario games or don't know anything about Mario or Nintendo, you'll still have a good time with this. But even I, as someone who didn't grow up with it, granted I also work in a retro game store, there's a lot of things that when I picked up on it, I was just like, alright, that's pretty amazing. I got very angry at the blue shell.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I> bet.
1: <laughs> like, when that happened, I actually, I audibly said, dude, fuck you. <laughs> I got very mad at the blue shell, and I feel like I'm not alone in that. <laughs> I feel like maybe Uh, the Mario
0: Brothers movie isn't on this list for me just because it's been a while since I've seen it, and I probably should fix that. Maybe it'd be higher, maybe it'd be on here, but I don't mm -hmm. know. I felt like this was a good start. This was better than I expected a Mario Brothers movie to be, especially one by
1: Illumination. It just didn't clinch it for me. I very much get the good start and all that. I personally don't think there needs to be more of these movies, although I know that Nintendo doesn't see that, because isn't this movie like, was what, the second or third highest grossing movie of the year, I believe? Yeah, both Nintendo and Illumination, if I had to guess, very much don't see it that way. <laughs> They're like, oh, people really like this. Oh, what else can we do? It's like, oh, god damn it.
0: <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't for the Barbie movie making a barbillion dollars, this wouldn't have, it would still be on top
1: yeah but yeah no those are those are numbers five through three for me just because i can't nail down where they sit <laughs>
0: fair enough so my number four was john wick chapter four so i'm not gonna keep going on about that because we already did okay my number three and i suspect this is probably in
1: in your top two my number three was oppenheimer okay it wasn't it is in my top two <laughs> all right, cool. right i'm learning. <laughs> and honestly,
0: y'all could probably guess what my other two are, from. Mm. <laughs> but, I mean, I gave one away.
1: Yeah, right. No, <laughs>
0: so Oppenheimer, I am staggered at how much I wasn't really looking forward to that one, and I was kind of seeing it out of a sense of, well, the Barbenheimer thing is a thing, and I can't not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So let me go ahead and see this, and I was shattered. Oh, yeah. Both in terms of how good it was and also, as I described in a previous episode when we reviewed it, that feeling of existential dread that you owe your entire existence as you know it to one singular massive terrible thing. And then it gets even worse when you extrapolate out and realize actually it's an entire chain of awful terrible things that led to this awful terrible thing that has defined the entire course of history history as you you know know
1: it. it. It's not hyperbole to say it's like this movie centers on a singular device that has literally shaped the entire society as we know since at least the two of us have been alive. Right. Front and center.
0: (laughs) And on top of that, again, it's another movie with an absolutely staggering cast doing brilliant performances. Some of the best I've seen from any of them, including Robert Downey Jr., including Killian Murphy. Florence Pugh's really good in this. I still can't believe... Josh Peck is in this, and I, and I wasn't able to pin <laughs> down who.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was, like, something, uh, like, very oddly made me happy about Josh Peck being in this, because it's, like, I I know he d- has done a lot more serious roles. Like, I know he doesn't always do comedy stuff, but it is a thing of, like, you know what? I'm glad to see him actually been in a fully, fully serious movie. Yeah. That made me happy. <laughs> Ray
0: Malik's in this, Kenneth Branagh, just absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy. The bomb itself is almost a character in the lead-up to its test run. Mm -hmm. Just, it's amazingly shot, the sound editing is way better than the last Nolan movie I saw.
1: Yeah, it is. Like, not even close. (laughs) Just, it's great. It's really good. Right. Now my number two Mm -hmm. is Barbie. So is mine. All right.
0: <laughs> so I guess I. So I guess that gives away both of our number ones. But yeah, uh, just a tad. <laughs> for Barbie's sake, this is another one. It's it's similar to Asteroid City in that style counts for a lot. Oh yeah. In this case, the set design is immaculate.
1: Oh yeah, very much. Like they they nailed the feeling of being in a Barbie house.
0: Barbie Land is perfectly plastic. It's
1: fantastic. Did you do that on purpose? I did. I did do that on purpose. (laughs) You bastard.
0: (laughs) And I mean, just what an absolutely tremendous message, too. Oh, yeah. And it's one that, obviously, you know, the Barbie movie's more women targeted, but it's one that I took some stuff away from and came out feeling a little shaken by. Oh, yeah. Because America Ferrera's whole speech near the climax of that movie is magnificent the fact that it is basically directly preaching right at the camera and it
1: works perfectly yeah cuz it's like even even as at least for me personally even as a guy and as, as a straight guy and all that her speech is all kind of things where it's like i it's like i can't like unconsciously go like i don't understand like <laughs> like i completely get her speech and where she's coming from and just how exhausting it must be for the things that she's talking about because as she's going over it all i'm just like this is some bullshit <laughs> that, that like women have to deal with all of this and it's like no but it's like can think of several examples just from like media society history whatnot where it's like no there is a citation point for every single thing that she's talking about yep like that's real shit and conversely with that how ken is carried on this movie too because ken very much portrays the whole thing of like a guy who doesn't really know what he's doing and doesn't know what his place is and having a really 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 hard time not just figuring that out but communicating in a healthy way i don't know why i'm here i don't know what i'm doing here i feel like no one's really here to help and i'm just going to find the first fucking thing that gives me purpose no matter how damaging or scumming it might be
0: yeah yeah and part of that's because Ken, Ryan Gosling is just great in it, just like everybody else in this movie.
1: Yeah, like, Ken's in it, Margot Robbie's good in it, America is good in it, everyone is great in it. Hell, even Helen Mirren as the narrator is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Note to the filmmakers: Margot Robbie is the wrong person to cast in this role. If you want to make this
1: point, yeah, it's like I'm ugly. It's like, like internally, I'm going like, "You're Margot Robbie," and then <laughs> Helen Mirren says, "I was like, thank you."
0: <laughs> no, I actually rewatched this one recently, and it it stuck with me. And it's funny because I remember when these two came out, I said I was more likely to watch Oppenheimer first, and that didn't happen,
1: but. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. When these came out, I said I was going to have both of these physically on Steelbook, and that definitely hasn't happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've got Barbie. I haven't gotten Oppenheimer yet. I don't even know if there was a Barbie Steelbook. (laughs) I think there might have been. I don't know. Mm. So, before I get to number one, I'm just going to do a few honorable mentions that almost made the list, but not quite. Mm -hmm. Uh, Priscilla almost made this list for me. Mm -hmm. Evil Dead Rise almost made it. Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves almost made this list. Teenage mm-hmm. Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem was also up there. Right. <laughs> Just because that was really refreshing for how many Ninja Turtles movies we've had of the the, the angle they chose to take. But, uh, obviously, as you've probably guessed by Process of Elimination, my number one movie this year, for me, my favorite, was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Hell yeah. And part of that is because Avengers was the movie that got me to actually think about movies, because it was a movie that I really liked, and actually I started thinking about why I liked it so much, but Mm -hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy is the movie that got me to really start liking the Marvel movies, because immediately after Avengers was, and I didn't see Avengers in theaters, I saw it after the fact, so Iron Man 3 had already come out, so the next one was Thor the Dark World, where that wasn't necessarily great,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and then Winter Soldier came out, which was a really good one. But it was Captain America, and I already kind of liked the character anyway from the Avengers movies. When Guardians of the Galaxy was coming out, I was skeptical as fuck. Because it was like, this is a stupid concept, nobody cares, it's so far removed from all the Avengers stuff, why would anybody want to see this? And then the trailers came out, it's like, oh, this looks like a shit ton of fun, actually. And it was? (laughs) But there was also some real humanity and real emotion in it, and... It blew me away, and then Guardians 2, I I actually like more than the first one, which I don't think is necessarily a popular opinion. Right. So for me, Guardians 3, in addition to just being a genuinely awesome movie on its own, represents a culmination of something that means a lot to me personally, and it's a great ending at that. It's such a perfectly sad ending in a happy way. Right, in a way of, Aw. and it it it's gradually been hitting me more and more as the years gone as the year has gone on. That yes, this is the last time that this lineup is going to be together, and that <laughs> actually hurts more than I <laughs> ever would have expected in twenty fourteen. Right, the music is great as always, the acting is great. Rocket Raccoon taking center stage is just mwah. Yeah, so much of it just ah, oh, I,
1: I'm really sad it's over, but I'm really mm. happy we got it. Right, right, all right. And in that aspect for me, besides the ones I met- already mentioned, I'd say my honorable mentions, for the most part, are gonna be Wonka, The Boy and the Heron, even though I did not see it in theaters and saw it very much after the fact. Winnie the Pooh, blooded Honey. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
0: Such a stupid fucking movie. I can't even say that, but then again, a lot of my love for that was ironic. <laughs> I think
1: that's part of the reason why I have it on there. Fair. Um, the blackening, yeah, definitely. Asteroid City. It's like if some people would expect Fast X, no, that is not on here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I definitely didn't make mine.
1: Y- yeah, just because, like, I feel like someone's going to be like, but you didn't talk about Fast X. I was like, yeah, there's a fucking reason for that. <laughs> uh... <laughs>
0: oh, I forgot to do the fake-out joke where I said it was Knights of the Zodiac.
1: <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, and Sisu as well. Mm. And, like, because, again, that was very much a me movie. Yep. But I would say, and there were a lot of good movies, too. There are definitely other ones that I'm missing out on as well. But I would definitely say my my number one, personally, to the surprise of absolutely no one, because this is basically the me movie of the year, was indeed Oppenheimer.
0: Yep. All right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: got it. <laughs> yeah. For I did it. for reasons we pretty much get, went into. There's not much more that I can really give to this movie. If I am gonna compliment anything else, it is like the general like other aspects, like talking about how this movie's sound editing is a lot better than Tenet. This movie's sound editing is good and actually, like, really drives home some of the more terrifying elements of the bomb. And also, talking about, like, how much the bomb has influenced society as we know it and our respective lives. Like, the thing about the movie that still does not leave me is how, even though it's just an object that everyone is working around and working on, when the bomb is on the screen, the test bomb is on the screen, it is impossible to ignore. Yeah the people who like put it together and like do the cinematography and all that did an amazing job just making where it's like even if it's not completely in focus you know it's there and it's impossible to ignore and the lighting is done in such a great way in so many scenes where it's genuinely just a terrifying object aesthetically speaking just looking at it it looks like nothing but just a giant metal ball but knowing what it is and knowing how powerful it is and knowing the Domino effect that it's going to become. It is truly horrifying every time it's there, even when it's not doing anything. It's <laughs> yeah, it's like, just
0: sitting there menacingly.
1: Like actually, though, <laughs> <laughs> like like legit. <laughs> and then, of course, just when that domino effect starts, the domino effect gets going rapidly, faster than anyone, including Oppenheimer himself, can deal with. And it's like, alright, now we have to think about wait, what do you mean Russia, what do you mean you have to think about Russia? Wait. Oh, wait, I'm being like called by the government about my loyalty? Wait, whoa, 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 hey, 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 hey! It's like just everything going ape shit right after those tests and after the end of the war. It's one like one might
0: say they really dropped the bomb on him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and just the rapid series of consequences that took place after that. And it's like some would look at that and go, "It's like, oh, they're just drumming it up for the movie." It's like, no, no, that's that's like that's what happens when like literally world changing events happen. Yep, is that people are scrambling to figure out what to do and what's going on. What well, the next thing is, because for some of those people, their life and the lives of hundreds of thousands of people literally depend on it. True. So, yeah, between that and the things we already talked about number one movie of the year for me personally. Fair. Fair.
0: Yeah, that was uh, 2023 in a nutshell for us. Oh, yeah. Here's to 2024, where a bunch of blockbusters got pushed back because the writers (laughs) and actors (laughs) had to go on strike to get a livable wage and hopefully some other benefits. We'll see.
1: Yeah, to not have their jobs communicated by a fucking eye.
0: And that might not have even worked out, but I guess we'll find out. Oh, yeah. In any case, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, this has been one heck of a year, obviously. Oh, yeah. But uh, we're getting close to triple-digit subscribers, which I'm actually genuinely psyched for. Yay! Woo! Thank
1: you for subscribing and Thanks sticking subscribing. with our nonsense.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you listen to this and you're enjoying it, make sure to like, comment, share it around, because that's the main way other people find it, because at obviously at this subscriber count, the YouTube algorithm isn't helping too much.
1: Oh, you fuck, no. <laughs> nope,
0: absolutely not. Uh, Next week, we actually have a couple options. Uh, One is Night Swim. No. And the other is a thriller called Some Other Woman, starring, among other people, Tom Felton. Oh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But regardless of what we check out next week, and I might try to, I'm genuinely going to try to shoot for both at this point. Because Mm. it's not a resolution, because resolutions are made to be broken, but with the year resetting and with so many bigger movies getting pushed back. This is the year the where I start checking out more stuff just because I feel like it. Right. And not just because I think it'd be interesting to cover here. But regardless mm-hmm. of that, this has been Under the Bridge with Cody, a.k.a. The Scarlet Troll. And with Greg, a.k.a. Greg. And we'll catch you guys next week. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody. Bye. Bye.